A huge percentage of businesses fail before they have any significant success. A big reason is marketing that doesn't work. In this episode, Donald Miller joins me to show us how to power the marketing engine of your business. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 629. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the most important considerations for leaders and organizations of any size is how to continue to grow the organization. And particularly, that's important in the mindset of small business leaders. How do you effectively grow your organization, helping to lead marketing and sales efforts, and to do it in a way that's authentic and genuine? Today, I'm so glad to welcome someone who's absolutely an expert on this, going to help us to really put on our hats of growth and marketing, particularly through the lens of small business. I'm so pleased to introduce to you Donald Miller. He's the New York Times bestselling author of Building a Story Brand and Business Made Simple. He has helped thousands of businesses grow with his powerful framework. In 2010, Don started the business he'd always dreamed of. Although his business was doing okay, he quickly realized it wasn't what he thought it would be. Everything depended on him, and he was drowning in the mundane day-to-day. For years, his business struggled to produce dependable, predictable results. And sadly, nobody had a step-by-step playbook for growing a business. That book just didn't exist. Still, over years of fits and false starts, Don grew his business from nothing to nearly $20 million. In the end, he realized there were six key parts of a business, and if they were managed well, the business would fly far and fast. He is now the author of that book that didn't exist, How to Grow Your Small Business, a Six-Step Plan to help your business take off. Don, what a pleasure to have you on. Dave, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. You write in the book, sadly, most small businesses think more about how their marketing will look rather than what their marketing will say. Tell me about that distinction. Well, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that people buy products when they read or hear words that make them want to buy those products. I I do think the way your marketing looks is important. I think your brand style guide is important. But we put 90% of our emphasis on brand style guide and 10% emphasis on the messages that we're using to sell our products. And I believe it should be absolutely reversed. It's 90% the words that you're using to invite customers into a story the words that you're using to tell them about your products, and it's 10% branding and style guides. I'm a, I'm an NFL football fan, Dave. I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, and I've watched the NFL, and a few years ago, I was watching a game, and in the end zones of, these, of the NFL football game I was watching, the Seahawks game, in the end zones were painted the words crucial catch, and then there were three colorful bars on either side of the words crucial catch. So I thought, okay, well, Polaroid or Kodak is releasing a new line of digital cameras. I couldn't even remember what the the three bars, colorful bars was, you know, it was Polaroid or Kodak. Two weeks later, I'm I'm watching a game and there are some cancer survivors being honored at midfield. And one is wearing a, a, a shirt that says crucial catch and the other is wearing a shirt that says intercept cancer. It turns out that what I thought was a campaign to sell digital cameras was actually a, a a cancer awareness campaign. Huh. That is how unbelievably confusing that message is. 
But what happens is these companies sit around in a boardroom with an ad firm, a marketing agency, and the agency says, well, you've got an awesome opportunity with the NFL. We've got these end zones. We, we need to somehow associate cancer awareness with football. So, you know, well, if it's a crucial catch, if you catch cancer early, it's a crucial catch in the end zone. What if we paint the words crucial catch in the end zone and everybody loved it and and what they didn't realize is nobody was in the room when they made that decision who's actually going to see it at the, at the end of the day. Yeah. And so any marketing message that needs an explanation is an absolute waste of money. So the problem is we're up against the curse of knowledge. We know what that means, but our customers don't want, know what that means. There are so many ad agencies and marketers who will take your 10,000, 50,000, 500,000, $5 million and use it to actually confuse your customers. And they don't give you your money back when it doesn't work. And so what I did was created a framework that allows us to clarify a message that customers can actually understand. It's not a cute message, it's not a clever message, but it's an effective message. So if you're in business to actually make money, your message should be clear. If you're in business to promote artists who create commercial art that makes no money, then you're doing a great job. You're a patron of the arts and you're paying people to make a website that doesn't work. But if you actually want to build your business, you've got to clarify your message. You invite leaders to look at two primary keys for using words well. And one of them you mention is people are only attracted to information that helps them survive and thrive. Tell me more about that. Well, there, there are two things that the brain is always trying to do. I mean, your human brain has a job, and it does it extremely well, by the way. That job, the main job of your brain, the main objective is to keep you alive. It's literally to keep you on the planet. And so we always have to think from our customer's perspective, what do we have that is going to help them survive? Let me give you an example of how this works, Dave. Let's say you're at a cocktail party and you talk to two different people and these two different people have the exact same product. They sell it for the same price and the, and the quality is exactly the same. You're talking to the first person. You say, hey, what do you do for a living? They say, well, I'm an at-home chef. I come to your house and I cook. Okay, you're going to have some questions, you know, like where'd you go to school and what are your favorite restaurants in town? Have you ever cooked for anybody famous? It's probably not going to occur to you to invite them to your house and buy their product. Now you go to the next person two hours later, you're at the same cocktail party, you're talking to them, you say, what do you do? And they say, well, you know how most families don't eat together anymore? And when they do, they don't eat healthy? I'm an at-home chef. I come to your house and cook. Mm. All right, which person is going to sell more, chef one or chef two? Yeah, chef two for sure. Chef two is going to sell all of it. They're going to close every deal and chef one is not going to close, is probably not going to close anything. It's the same product. The difference is the way the two people talked about it. And specifically what chef number two did was they, they identified a problem that their market has, and then they positioned their product as a solution to that problem. And that is the key to good marketing. I heard the advice a while ago that an about page on a website is not really about you, the business owner of the business. It's about the person who's visiting and about why they're there and what problems they have. And I've tried to center our about page around that. But it comes back to the same thing you just said is it's nobody really cares about the, I mean, once they know you and they built the relationship, yeah, maybe, but no one really cares about the history of the business and the metrics and all that. They care about like, how can you help me survive and thrive? Like you said, right? 
That's correct. Yeah. And so even your about page can be a sales page. You know, most people feel like it's a license to talk about themselves. And, and indeed it is. I mean, people are wanting to know more about you, but you'd be much better off if, if let's say you're a real estate agent and I click on the about us page of your, your website, which people have shown to be a popular page on most websites. Instead of saying that where you went to college and that you have a bunch of kids and those sorts of things, what you want to say is something like, I fell in love with helping people find their dream home. I noticed that most people, when they work with a real estate agent, they end up settling for a house that really isn't the best house for them because the real estate agent didn't do due diligence. And that drove me crazy. I didn't like that. I wanted people to find their dream home. And I've been lucky to have an opportunity to help people find their dream home in my real estate career. I've helped over 500 people. This is provided for my family, my wife, and my three kids. And we live a really great life helping you find your dream home. Okay, that sounds like it was about me, but it actually wasn't. It was all about the customer finding a dream home. You add, people for the most part only listen to ideas that are communicated simply. What's so important about the simple? Well, the human brain burns, depending on how, how big you are and, and how much how, how fast your metabolism is and all that kind of stuff. But the average brain burns between six and 800 calories a day just processing information. I mean, if you're having to pass the bar exam one day, you're going to go to bed exhausted, even though all you did was sit in a chair. And that's because your brain is actually working very, very hard. If you pass the bar exam today, you probably burned 1,400 calories to do it. So you're exhausted. The brain is the number one organ in the body in terms of burning calories. So what is happening is your brain has about six to 800 calories to burn a day before it gets exhausted. And its primary job is to keep you on the planet. So what it's doing is it's scanning the environment for very simple messages that will help it stay alive. For instance, we got called in, a friend called us into the Jeb Bush campaign when he was running against Donald Trump and, and the other field in the Republican primaries. And we, we, we went in and helped him because I, I, li I liked Governor Bush. I thought he'd be a good president. And his campaign motto was, Jeb can fix it. All right, well, that's a pretty simple message, except one, if Jeb can fix it, the story of Jeb Bush is not about you. It's about Jeb. Mm. And then he's going to fix it, which is incredibly elusive. So there's nothing I can get my teeth around there. If Jeb said, I'm going to make sure every teacher in this country gets a raise, he would have gotten more votes. All the teachers would have voted for him if he would have said something like, we're going to give everybody opportunity or, or, or access to an economic escalator that moves them up. Everybody should be making considerably more eight years from now than they are today. I'm going to fix the economy. Well, then everybody goes, oh, he's going to help me survive by helping me make more money. But Jeb can fix it was so elusive that nobody could really figure out how it was going to help them survive. And plus, it was all about him. Instead of Jeb can help you. It was Jeb can fix it. Those are the sorts of marketing messages that fail. And that campaign didn't get traction. I went to Finland and was speaking to 8,000 entrepreneurs in Finland during the primaries. And I said to them, what does Donald Trump want to do with America? And 8,000 people with a Finnish accent said, make America great again. People were able to memorize his offer because it was so simple and repeatable. And also he kept repeating it and putting it on hats. I think one of the reasons Donald Trump succeeded, even though it's hard to say he succeeded, I, I'm personally not a fan of the way he governed uh, in terms of his personality, but he was an expert at messaging. And where did he come from? He came from television. He came from media. He was, he was groomed 
in this the, this understanding that you've got to create short, simple sound bites, or people will dismiss you because they're they're not giving you very much time. That sounds really hard to a lot of my listeners because they're like, wait, Don, you know the truth can't be broken down into simple sound bites. It's actually nuanced. I understand that. What you want to do, though, is give people short, simple sound bites that cause them to want to know more and then give them longer sound bites. And then on the third or fourth date, as you get to know them, you can expound on your ideas. If you try to do that on the first date, everybody's walking out of the room. And when it comes to sound bites, story comes in here in a big way, doesn't it? It does. Yes. Yeah, story is the greatest tool known to man to compel a human brain. In fact, most people, you and I and everybody listening, we spend about 30% of the time our awake hours daydreaming. I do it all the time. I, I, I fall into a daydream and kind of have to wake up and go, wait a second, I'm supposed to be doing something here. Or <laughs> Good, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably people who have been daydreaming this entire episode. But if you sit down and start a, a Ted Lasso show, you might spend three to four hours not daydreaming. I mean, literally paying attention, which is so hard to do. I mean, it's so hard to produce anything that causes people to pay attention. Well, what's doing that is actually story. What's happening is it's almost like a riddle. Ted Lasso has been thrown into a situation where he's a football coach in a of a soccer team. And what in God's name is going to happen to this guy? We kind of like him. Well, that's a, what's called opening a story loop. And you have to pay attention to find out how that story loop closes. And one of the things that we want to do on our website is open a story loop for our customers. If, I have a, if I'm an at-home chef, you go to my website and it's going to say something like, most families don't eat together anymore. And when they do, they don't eat healthy. We come to your house and cook. So now I've got an open story loop. I currently have a family that doesn't eat healthy and we hardly eat together anymore. And I can only close that story loop if I buy this gentleman's product. So what you want to do in your marketing is open a story loop that the only way it can be closed is to buy your product. We want to invite people into a story that gets their attention and offers to resolve a problem only when they buy our product. I've been hearing your name for over a decade and just how helpful the model story brand has become for so many business folks and leaders on being able to clarify that message. And I thought maybe looking at a few of the key elements of this would be helpful for for our audience to start thinking about how they start to really utilize that well. And there's seven elements of the story brand. And the first one is a character. The character who wants something. Who's the character and what is it that, what's the want piece? Well, the key overall idea is to invite the customer into a story. Stop telling your story and invite customers into a story. So the very first thing you have to do is identify something that the customer wants. So if I'm watching The Born Identity, I know the hero is having to figure out who they really are. They want to know who they really are. They're struggling with amnesia and they want to know who they really are. Dave, if, if I wrote Born Identity and I, I made Matt Damon's character want to know who he really is and also want to marry the girl and also want to lose 30 pounds and also want to run a marathon and also be thinking about adopting a cat, I have lost the plot of the movie, yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's about too many things. So what we want to do is we want to identify, hey, what is the one big thing that customers want from us, right? So if you're Toyota, 
it's going to be a dependable, reliable, fairly priced automobile. That's Toyota. And if you want a sports car version of that, you're going to go with the Supra. If you want a truck version of that, you're going to go with the Tacoma or the Tundra. If you want a family version of that, you might go with the Camry. But it's all one story. Now, each of those, that one story that Toyota sells has subplots. So just like Jason Bourne, he wants to know who he really is. That's the overall plot of the story. But then we drive narrative traction through the story with subplots. So he's in a hotel room. There's bullets flying through the door. He's got to jump out the window. He lands on a motorcycle. End subplot about him getting out of the hotel room. Open subplot about him getting away from other guys on motorcycles. Then he's he outruns the guys on the motorcycles. He ends up out in the woods. He finds a farmhouse. End subplot of getting away from the guys on the motorcycle. Open subplot of realizing his high school sweetheart is inside the farmhouse. And now we've got a love story going on. So the way a story works is you've got one big plot and a bunch of little subplots inside of it. And everybody listening to me needs to do that with their business. The one plot of Toyota is dependable, reliable, fairly priced automobile. The subplot of if you want that as a sports car, here's the Supra. And the subplot, if you want that as a truck, here's the truck. And if you want that, and we're going to write different brand scripts for those different demographics, they're all going to fit inside of the plot. And so what we want to do as a business is identify what is it that our customer wants from our brand? And then what specific thing do truck buyers want and sports car buyers want within the plot of a dependable, reliable, fairly priced vehicle? If we go over to Porsche, it's different. We do, they do not want a dependable, reliable vehicle. Porsches are notorious for having all sorts of reasons to take it back into the dealership and into the shop because people are fine with that. Why are they fine with that? Because they want performance. They want to drive a sports car, a cutting-edge sports car. And so now here's a cutting-edge sports car that's a sports car and a, a an SUV that drives like a cutting-edge sports car and so on and so on. Different plots and subplots, but the more murky yours is, the less people know why they should buy from you or what they should look for from you. So the very first thing that we've got to identify is what do our customers want? And then we want to test that, do a little bit of market testing with it. But once we realize it works, that becomes a controlling idea for our brand. And we repeat it over and over and over until it is our absolute identity. Then nobody is confused about why they should go to you. So we've got to identify the very first thing we have to identify is what do our customers want from us? What is the story about that we are inviting them into? And like you said with Toyota, the subplots, yes, they're a bit different depending on the situation, the context, but they all come back to the larger story, the larger framework that is still the story of the brand of the organization that permeates everything, right? It permeates everything. And and, and it, it attracts a kind of buyer, right? Toyota made a decision however many years ago. They're going to choose reliability, a little bit of fuel economy, but not performance. And so they don't really have performance vehicles. I mean, the only performance vehicle they have is a Supra, which is actually a BMW badged as a Supra. So they made that decision. And it was a really, really great market decision because they realized, look, the overwhelming majority of people actually just want a car that's going to last a long time and not break down. This is part marketing and part business strategy. But the reality is until the public knows, look, if you want a reliable car, get a Toyota. I mean, you hear that all the time. If you really want a reliable car, get a Toyota. I and mean, you can put 300,000 miles on the thing. You hear those stories. 
That's all business strategy meets effective marketing. This leads into something you said earlier on thinking about the example with the home chef that you run into at the networking event, right? Is mm -hmm. that part of the invitation here is to help the character, your customer, overcome a conflict. And right. you write, people only buy products and services to solve problems. And the thing that I see again and again, and I'm sure you do too, Don, is that it, like a lot of times, especially for small business people, they're so close to their business, their product, their service that they have a hard time looking at it from the perspective of the customer or potential buyer. What does a small business leader do in order to really understand and appreciate how to help that customer solve a problem? Well, the first thing you got to do, we know now what our customer wants. They want a reliable car or something like that. We, but the reason they're going to buy anything is because they're trying to solve a problem or end a pain. That's really it. Every time you pull out your wallet, you are solving a problem. Dave, in about 30 minutes from now, I'm going to go buy a sandwich. And the reason I'm going to buy that sandwich is because I'm hungry, <laughs> right? Yeah. I have a problem, and that problem is hunger, and I'm going to buy a sandwich to solve the problem. That's a very basic sort of thing that everybody understands. But even, even buying a Porsche or something is, I always wanted a great sports car, and now I'm 55, and I'm in my midlife crisis, and I'm feeling like life is passing me by, and I just haven't had any fun. I've, all I've done is work. I'm going to solve that problem with this really way too expensive sports car. So even though it's like, well, I just wanted to have fun. No, you're solving a problem. Everything that we do, everything that we buy, and almost every action that we take, we take to solve a problem. But here's the thing. If you have a brand that just like not having clearly defined what the customer wants, if you have not clearly defined the problem that they have, they won't buy from you. Because what they want to do is they want to know, if, you know, if I walk into a, a, a Walgreens or a CVS pharmacy and I say, hey, do you have any medicine? I have a headache. And they say, yes, we have medicine everywhere. And say, okay, which, which headache, which medicine is for the headache? And they would say, well, I don't know. It's just medicine. Well, you have like thousands of bottles of medicine. Which one would I use for a headache? Sir, it's just, it's medicine. All these things solve problems. It's completely <laughs> unhelpful to me. Right. Right. And so what I need to know is, oh no, you get Advil if you have a headache. Now I'm looking for Advil. I think a lot of us, we represent products, but nobody knows specifically what problem that product solves. Mm. So if you are able to say, you know, I work with a company called Omni Logistics out of Dallas big multi-billion dollar logistics company. If you say to them, look, you have complicated supply chain issues and your shipping is going up every year and you just don't know if that's the market or if somebody's milking you, come to Omni Logistics. See what I did? I said, if you are feeling a headache, buy Advil. And a lot of us say buy Advil, but we don't say the headache part. Your sales will, and I'm not making this up, your sales will likely double if you are making that mistake and you correct that mistake. I mean, because people only pull out their wallets and buy things or create purchase orders only when they know that's going to solve this problem and I have this problem. Another, another problem we can have in, this, in our marketing messages is we can, we can, the problem can be so elusive 
that nobody can really get their mind around it. So, you know, if we're a logistics company and we just say solutions for the modern world, I, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what, I mean, yes, I know you have solutions for the modern world, but at the same time, is that going to solve my problem? Of, am I getting, and am I, am I getting ripped off by my current logistics company? Right. Yeah. So if you say, look, we are able to do an assessment to see whether or not you're getting ripped off and whether or not we can actually save you some money on, on shipping stuff around the world and getting things to each part of your supply chain. If we are able to, to say that it's so specific that people go, yes, I got it. And then please, can you come assess my situation? So being very specific on what the customer wants and being very specific on the problem that they have is what's going to trigger buying. What I want to do then is when I print out your website or your proposal, or when I read an email, a follow-up email to maybe a client that you just met with, I want to take a pen and when I want to circle everywhere you're talking about what the customer wants. And I want to circle everywhere where you're talking about the pain that they're experiencing that your product can resolve. If I have three or four or five things circled, you have a really good sales letter. You have a really good website. But if I haven't circled anything, you're not going to close that deal. That's a great place to start for every one of us who has a sales letter or proposal or a website to go through that. And this actually, speaking of circling things, the line that I circled in your book more so than anything else was this one. You write, arguably the most important point in the entire story brand framework is this. Never play the hero, always play the guide. Tell me about that yeah. distinction. Well, so many of us just talk too much about ourselves. And I, and I alluded to this at the beginning of the interview. In stories, there are multiple characters, four main characters, a hero, a victim, a villain, and a guide. Uh, those are the four main characters in a story. On the good side, you've got the, you've got the hero and the guide, and the victim, of course, is good. And on the bad side, you've got the villain. The hero and the guide relationship is really critical if we want to understand good marketing. The story, of course, is about the hero, and the hero is trying to overcome a problem in their life, and they're trying to win the day. They're trying to win the championship. They're trying to marry their high school sweetheart. They're trying to get a raise, whatever it is that the hero is trying to do. Into the story, almost every time, and next time you watch a movie, you're going to see it, comes a guide. Mr. Miyagi comes in to help Daniel and the Karate Kid. Mary Poppins helps the family save the day. Haymitch helps Katniss in Hunger Games. There's usually a guide that comes in and helps the hero. The hero is ill-equipped, weak, can't get the job done, afraid, and in desperate need of help. The guide, on the other hand, has already solved the hero's problem in their own backstory and is now here to help the hero figure out how to solve it for themselves. In marketing, you always want to position yourself as the guide, not the hero. Now think about what I just said. If you come and you say, I'm an at-home chef, I come to your house and cook. I attended a culinary school in New York City and I won several awards and my food is really expensive, but it's good. In fact, I think I'm the best cook in this town. This is not a sales pitch. This is you bragging about how great you are. And what, what your customer hears is, oh, you're a hero in a story, a quite arrogant one, actually. You're a hero in a story. But if I say, you know how most families don't eat together anymore, and when they do, they don't eat healthy? I'm an at-home chef. I come to your house and cook so that your family can sit around a table, look each other in the eye, enjoy a conversation. And when you're done, you don't have to clean up because I've already cleaned up your kitchen. Listen, there are only so many dinners left until your kids go off to college. I'd love to come to your house and give you guys some quality time. 
in that sales pitch, I position myself as the guide helping you, the hero, win the day and experience a climactic scene of sitting around the family table looking each other in the eye. I visually gave you a story that you can live into. And you know what? It's not about me. It's about you. And so that's what we've got to do in our marketing is position ourselves as the guide so the hero can win the day. And you make the point that heroes aren't looking for other heroes, right? They're looking for that guide that can help them to get where they want to go. That's right. I mean, if you think about back to Jeb Bush, Jeb can fix it. Well, Jeb positioned himself as the hero. Hillary Clinton's tagline, her motto was, I'm with her. Well, if I'm with her, who's the hero? She is, right? And we're just a bunch of ducklings tagging along behind her. She got, I mean, Donald Trump won that presidential election with less votes than Mitt Romney, who lost. He did not drive traffic to the polls. People did not want Donald Trump to be president. They wanted Hillary Clinton to be president even less. (laughs) I mean, she just bombed. She absolutely bombed. And she did because she made herself the hero of the story, right? If she, and, and I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton either, so don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I think two big problems in America are these two political parties who have gotten very distracted. But I, I will say this. If Hillary would have just said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to protect your rights, your freedoms. Even though you think I'm a liberal, I'm going to stand up and defend all of your freedoms as much as I can. We're going to grow the economy so that you have more money, and we're going to be respected in the world. Those are the three things you get if you vote for me. She would have won that election, right? Narrowly, but she would have won it. But we couldn't figure out what that lady was going to do. I don't know what she's going to do. I'm with her going where? I'm with her doing what? The, 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 the stakes of you getting the message right are massive. It's literally whether you will win or lose, whether your business will succeed or crash. So I'm curious about that last point because I think that example you gave of the chef who you meet and talks about all their accomplishments and talks about all the awards they've won. We've all seen a business person do that, right? Like they're talking about how great they are, their organization is. How does a leader demonstrate authority in a genuine and authentic way? Because I think that's the part that people really struggle with. They know they need to demonstrate authority, but they don't know how to do it in a way that doesn't sound like they're bragging. Yeah. Well, first of all, you can actually talk a great deal about yourself. I think a lot of people would hear me and say, well, I can't talk about myself. Don't don't misunderstand me. You can talk a great deal about yourself, but here's the only category I'll let you do it. Your experience solving your customer's problem. You can talk Ah. about that all day long. I could give an hour-long keynote and just talk about, here's a broadband company that came to us and we helped them clarify their message and they went from $800 million to $1.4 billion. Here's how I helped them do it. Now, in a way, I'm talking about me, but I'm talking about me solving a customer's problem. And by the way, it happens to be the same problem that my audience has. So what you want to do is only just stay inside of the lane that is you as an authority figure on solving your customer's problem. That, that's the lane that you want to stay in. And the truth is, you can talk about it all day long, but you really don't need to. All you need to say is, Jane, I've got 40 clients that I've solved this problem for. They're all eating dinner together. They, they, they don't clean up after. They're getting great family time. Most of them hire, hire me or one of my chefs for about two or three days a week. And uh, I know what you're feeling. I know the pain that you're feeling, but you don't have to feel it anymore. 
I know how to solve this problem. So that's really still about Jane, but it's about me being an expert and an authority at solving Jane's problem. One of the things that you want to remember is that people who are insecure talk about themselves, but people who are confident talk about others. And so what we want to do is just get really good at what we do and then say, hey, I can solve your problem. I've solved it for a lot of other people. And you really don't have to say a whole lot more than that. And in the spirit of that, there's so much here that is going to get folks moving who are running a small business, thinking about marketing as first steps. And so I hope you heard something in this that will get you moving on a first step. And my invitation to you and Don's invitation is, if this is helpful, go get the book for everything else. Because we've only hit on, Don, what one of the six key areas of business growth here. And there's so much more in the book. It's such a powerful model. And it's also, to your point, simple. Once you get it, I mean, like so many of the powerful things are simple. If you're willing to just get moving on this and start, there's so many doors it opens up of being able to connect with people well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dave. All right. I've got one final question for you. So many of the experts who come on this show have just done incredible work. They've learned so much. They've grown. Clearly, you have over running your business uh, over these years. I'm curious, as you look back over the last couple of years, and especially in writing this book and in working with clients, what's something that you've changed your mind on? Mm, that's a that's a really great question. You know, I will say this. You know, early on in my business, I I started the business thinking this is this really isn't about money and almost so much so that I didn't want to think about making money I just wanted to serve my customers and I heard everything that would take care of the rest what I realized was no economic objectives have to be uh, baked in to my small business plan we have to hit numbers and when we hit numbers we make higher profits we can create greater products to serve more clients and actually sustainably solve these clients' problems. And so one of the things I've changed my mind on is that business really isn't about making money. It absolutely is about making money. And when we see 65% of small businesses fail, I guarantee you half of those fail because they didn't focus on what was necessary, the oxygen to keep this business alive, which is cash flow. Now, what we do with the money, Betsy and I happen to be pretty generous with the money. We are generous with it. But if you don't actually admit to yourself, this has got to be a revenue-generating, profit-generating machine, your business is probably not going to make it. And so I've changed my mind about being afraid of making money or not wanting to make money. I've changed my mind about that and woke up and said, no, this is about making and managing and stewarding money very, very well. And I think a lot of young entrepreneurs don't want to think that way. And I think that's one of the main reasons they fail. Donald Miller is the author of How to Grow Your Small Business, a six-step plan to help your business take off. Don, so grateful for your wisdom. Dave, what an honor. Thanks for trusting me with your audience. Small business may be in the title of Don's book, but these marketing principles are just as applicable to 
nonprofits, government agencies, faith-based communities, many of them have used these principles as well in order to drive their marketing engine. It's all about serving people well, whoever that is. Thanks again, Don, for your perspective. And if this conversation was helpful, several other episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 381, Serve Others Through Marketing. Seth Godin was my guest on that episode, a leading voice in marketing for many decades. I've followed Seth's work for years. He has taught me many of the key principles on how to be able to market an organization well. In that episode, we talk about some of the key principles of marketing, a great complement to this conversation. And Seth's going to be back in a few weeks for a new episode with us as well, episode 381 for that last conversation with Seth. I'd also recommend episode 491, How Leaders Build. Guy Raz was my guest on that episode. We talked about the lessons he's learned from his very popular show, How I Built This talking to entrepreneurs all over the world who have built successful enterprises and dispelling some of the myths that we tend to think of when we think of entrepreneurs who've had success. And one of those myths is we often think of the entrepreneur as that solo person, when in fact, Almost all successful entrepreneurs have a partner that has supported them along the way, sometimes a silent partner, but a partner nonetheless who has supported them. So many great principles that uh, Guy talks about in that conversation, episode 491, including the importance of kindness, a key principle he looks for in the uh, folks that he features on the show. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 607, How to Quit Bad Stuff faster. Annie Duke was my guest on that episode. We talked about the importance of quitting and that we do need as leaders to make the decision to set things aside, both personally and professionally, and how to do that. And one of the parts of that conversation is about how to walk away from opportunities that aren't working from a sales and marketing framework. Episode 607, a great compliment to this conversation as well. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. If you haven't done that before, it is going to be your access point to be able to dive in on all of the benefits of free membership. One of the many benefits is all of the free audio courses. I have aired audio courses for years, and inside the free membership, you will find those detailed, the ability to track your listening, uh, all of the notes and resources. There's a ton in there. It is one of the many benefits available to you of your free membership, along with the ability to search by topic every past episode that I've aired since 2011. Many episodes we've done on the topic of entrepreneurship, on sales, on marketing, three separate areas there. You can find a lot more inside of the free membership. And maybe you're looking for a bit more. Speaking of problems, one of the problems that our listeners have and our members have is not enough time, how to get the information you need, how to integrate everything. And that's one of the reasons that Earlier this year, I launched Coaching for Leaders Plus. One of the driving factors is to help our listeners to save time in integrating everything that they're hearing here on the podcast. That's one of the reasons that a benefit of Coaching for Leaders Plus is a monthly article from me. I'm putting together lots of ideas and resources from many guest experts on a very specific topic that will help you to move forward and take some practical steps to do better. That's one of the uh, several key benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you'd like more details, just go to coachingforleaders.plus for everything there. Thank you as always for listening, and I will see you back on Monday for our next conversation.